After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everyone. J.J. Cooper, Teddy Cahill joining on today's Tuesday's Facebook Live. We're going to talk some college baseball today. We're going to talk about the draft. We'll take your questions, so I'm sure we'll end up talking a little prospects, a little spring training as well. But uh, we thank you for joining us today. We thank you, as you always do, for joining us. A lot of great questions usually every week on the Facebook Live. And we thank you for tuning in. And do want to remind you that our podcast and Facebook Live are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and children. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com. And right now, if you go to Baseballism.com, near the offer code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, you can get 20% off your order, get gear like the hat Teddy's sporting, the... Got the one, we got some new gear, so I'm wearing one of the new shirts that we just got in. So uh, we thank you to Baseballism for that. And we thank you again. We thank you for, uh, for tuning in today. But we, uh, before we jump into college baseball, I want to talk to, ask Teddy about some of the, the teams that have stood out, surprises, uh, positive, and maybe a little bit negative, you know, at the start of the season. But we have, a, we, have a, we have a player that kind of intersects because at this time last year, Seth Romero was the, uh, was, Still at this point, the ace of the Houston staff. He was. Not for long. Um, then was suspended, then was kicked, then was reinstated, then was kicked off the team, and then was a first round pick of the Nationals. And now the news came out yesterday that uh, I think first reported by Jeff Passan that, that Romero is, uh, has been sent home by the Nationals for an undisclosed violation of team rules. Nothing that suspends him by MLB purposes, but something that basically enough that the Nationals thought that they had to uh, get his attention. And I want to talk about that before we jump into everything else. Um, I, I want to get your opinion on it also, because you obviously have covered Seth for several years. But the one thing I haven't seen out there kind of mentioned in this is, is that I, I'm, this is not a positive for Seth Romero. This is not a positive for the Nationals. But I would say that if you are talking about, if we are looking back, 10 years from now, on a successful Seth Romero big league career, this is not a surprising development. Last year, as we said, he was kicked off of his team for, I, for a variety of things, but it all can be summed up as he was a bad teammate. I mean, I don't think there's any real debate about that one. Um, and the thing about it is, is he was kicked off the team and then he was a first round pick. So there, if your hope was is that he was going to have the wake-up call that basically showed him that he's going to have to make some changes as he's going to have the big league career that is the potential for him, he's very talented, that was not what was going to do it. Being a first-round pick after being kicked off of your college team, 
does not tell you you better shape up or, or something's going to happen negatively. No, there was no real long-term consequence there. So if you're the Nationals, one of the things you do have to do here is, is you're, you have to at some point get this across that, Seth, if you're going to have the career we want you to have, there are expectations, there's a level of professionalism we do expect. And this is part of that process. Again, it's not something where you go, hey, Seth Romero's, this is a good thing for Seth Romero or the Nationals. But I would say that I do not see this as in any way surprising. And this is something that was probably at some point going to be necessary if Seth Romero is going to have the career that the Nationals hope that he's going to have. Yeah, I mean, everyone's talked a lot about uh, how he was kicked off the team last year. Uh, but it's also important to remember that he was suspended as a sophomore as well to start yes. the season. That, that he, he was suspended his sophomore year, uh, came back from that, pitched well, uh, and then was suspended multiple times last year. And, and, yeah, so, I mean, clearly it hasn't taken yet. And, you know, who knows if it will take. Uh, if it does take this time, you know, it, the, the Nationals still have this very good pitcher and, and all the rest. But I, you know, I think there is something to this idea that, you know, now is a pretty low-impact time for this to happen. You know, it, it's got to be a, a message that he gets, but, you know... Developmentally, out, this doesn't hurt anything. No, and at the outset of his first full pro season, like, is probably a pretty good time to be laying down the law and, and making sure you understand what you have to do to to be in this organization, to, to advance towards the big leagues, because now is a pretty impressionable time in his career. It's, you know, not like... You know, you're trying to do this after he's already been in your system for a couple of years and, and figured out what he can and can't do. Like, you're you're laying down the law now, and you know we'll, we'll see what comes of this. And the Nats knew what they were getting into. This was all all of this was very well. That, known. That's the reason Seth Romero yes. lasted to where the Nats picked. I mean, so I mean, th this was part of the risk, and you know I, I'm sure that the organization has you know had conversations about how they want to deal with this sort of thing and. Uh, you know, now, now we're seeing it, and, and we'll see what he does from here. But I, I think that you know, now you, you kind of have to look at it as the ball is in his court. Right. And the, I, I agree completely with you that this is something where you look at it and say, from a developmental standpoint, and we do not know how long. I mean, he could be invited back tomorrow. It could be a month from now, whatever. You know, maybe there's a series of steps that he has to show before he's you know, allowed back. But if he's not back on a mound until May, Developmentally, it's a very minor, very minor thing developmentally. Again, if someone, he was probably going to have a limited number of innings he threw this year anyway, coming off of a year last year where he threw a limited number of innings, you know, both in college and then in the New York Penn League after he signed. So, again, from a developmental standpoint, this may be the most important thing that he that could go on for Seth Romero in his 2018 season. Well, I mean, frankly, this is probably his biggest developmental step to take anyway. You mm -hmm. know, he's pretty well along on the mound. There are things he can work on there, but it's definitely more of a mental thing at this point that, that needs to be worked on. And, um, you know, this this could very well be the most important development of his season, of his pro career, is how he learns from this, if he learns from how he, this. And, and there is a certain extent of growing up. I mean, again, we... You can, go, you can go too far the other way and basically make it seem like that these 20, 21-year-olds are, are 12. No, I mean, he's 20, 21. But, you know, he's 21. But at the same time, he's 21. 
And there are a whole lot of us who are, you know, who are more mature at 24, 25 than we were at 21. I, I, I'm one of those. Um, so, you know, so that's something, you know, with Seth Romero. Uh, before we get, we got some questions already we'll get into, but I do want to ask you kind of start this off, which is, who are a couple of teams, you know, take at least a team in the top 25 and then a team outside of the top 25 that have impressed you so far? You know, looking at the, the college season, we're now, we're just a couple of weeks in here, but... We haven't. We're long enough. We're far enough in that you can start see some some patterns developing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that obviously there there's some teams off to really good starts. You, know, you look at Kentucky, you look at Texas Tech, and those were teams that we had coming into the season in the in the top eight, and you know they are they're doing absolutely what what they should be doing and, and doing it very well. Um, I think I've been impressed. Uh, from Ole Miss a lot, you know, that, that's a team that we had 16th coming into the year and we figured was going to be really talented. Uh, it was a younger team last year. A lot of them, you know, are, are it's, a, it's grown up and, and we felt like they were really ready to, to take a step forward. And I think they're starting to do that. They, they went out this weekend and won a series at Long Beach. Um, you know, they had been 8-0 before that. Uh, at home, and uh, that, that was a big step, I think, for them to, to go out to a, a really solid Long Beach team. The record doesn't reflect that yet for the Dirtbags, but to go out west, to, to go... I mean, especially and, going out there. Yeah, they went out there. It's a it's a long trip from Mississippi. Uh, they had some extended delays. Uh, Not an easy trip from Mississippi no. either. No, and, and they had some extended delays just in flights, and then there was rain, and it, it was a, it was not the, the most straightforward experience uh, for the Rebels in getting out there and, and playing. And uh, once they were able to get on the field, they, they handled it well. They won a, a pretty tough series, and uh, I, I think that's going to help them grow up. And, um, you know, Stanford as well, uh, you know, the, the David Esker era has really started very impressively. Extremely... Um, Having a healthy Tristan Beck yes. has helped that too. Yes, absolutely. Tristan Beck and Chris Bubich at the front of that rotation have made it every bit as good of a rotation as we thought it would be, and I think they've surprised some people offensively. I, you know, I think they're having a really nice season uh, from an offensive perspective as well. It's going to be about pitching and defense for that team, as it always is at Stanford. But I, I think the the offense has stepped up, and, and that's why they're now up to number four in the Baseball America top twenty-five. Brought to you by Louisville Slugger. Uh, yes, powered by Louisville Slugger. Um, from just outside the top 25, uh, you know, I, I think that there are some teams that are, that are doing some good things, um, you know, that, that we're still looking to, to maybe learn a little more about. But, you know, I thought Illinois this weekend, um, they went up to the uh, Dairy Queen Classic, which was a Big Ten Pac-12 challenge. They went undefeated there. That's a team that... That was, a, that was loud. It, it was. You know, they beat UCLA. They beat Arizona. Uh, they beat Washington to finish off the weekend. And that, that's a program that's had a really strong tradition, but in the last two years hadn't made the Big Ten tournament, had just been on the wrong side of the bubble there uh, or in a really tight race. And this year, uh, you know, they've won five straight now. And I think the Illini are showing that, you know, they also had a young team last year, kind of like Ole Miss. And... Um, you know, they're showing now that they're, they're a year older. And, and as Dan Hartlib, their coach, told me, you know, it's not just about being a year older. They have to be a year older and a year better. And I think, you know, we're still very early on, but I, I think they are showing that they've learned, they've grown in the past year. And, um, you know, the Big Ten looks a little bit different this year. The, there's some injuries at Nebraska. Michigan is very young this year. And uh, I think the top end is maybe a little open for, for a team like an Illinois to, to break through and, and challenge 
Indiana, which also looks outstanding this season uh, at the top of the conference. Okay, we're going to dive into some questions. Um, we'll start with Ron Liebass. What's your view on Oregon State for you, Teddy? Do they have the talent to win another title like their back-to-back -back teams a few years ago? You know, I, they came into the year at number two. Uh, we certainly feel really good about their talent. The, the pitching staff is incredible. Uh, up the middle, they're really strong with, with uh, Caden Grenier at shortstop and Nick Madrigal at second, Stephen Kwan in center field, and Adley Rushman at, at catcher. Now, Madrigal's out right now. Wrist injury, he'll be out for a few weeks. I'll be very interested to see how he comes back from that um, when when that time comes. But in the meantime, they, they have plenty of talent on that team. Trevor Larnick has started the season really well, uh, hitting for a lot of power. A lot of power. And and that's something he hadn't done before. It had always been there for, for him. He's just a big corner outfielder, and the power hadn't really come. But this year, it, he's hitting for it, and, and that's a huge development for Oregon State. It's always fascinating to me because there always are some hitters, I feel like, every year who it's like you – the power, we always talk about the adage is the power is the last thing to come, but there's something, sometimes it's sophomore season, sometimes it's junior season, where all of a sudden uh, a guy goes from being a solid hitter to being a power, a, you know, a solid hitter with power, and it does seem like he's a guy who's developing. And Oregon State really needed that, because K.J. Harrison had kind of been their, their big middle-of-the-order presence, and you know now he's moved on to pro ball, and uh, so I think Larnick stepping up to, to take on that role is, has been critical for them. And uh, I mean, they're definitely a national title contender. Uh, it, you know, it would help if uh, Nick Madrigal gets back to his t total complete health, uh, Pac-12 player of the year kind of deal. Uh, but, you know, even if he's just a, a slight tick down from that as he comes back from injury, I, I think they still have enough talent to go out to Omaha and challenge out there. A um, couple other questions. This one's right up your alley. Scott Murphy asked just about the Florida, about the Gators draft prospects, which I'm going to limit you to, uh, let's say you get to pick one pitcher and then you can talk about all the position players you want, but only pick to talk about one pitcher. Because we know, you know, it's Singer, it's Jackson Coar, it's, you know, you, but, but I really, we've talked about them a lot. That's why I would say like, I mean, because we, we do, you do have some interesting, for a variety of reason, position players here as well. Yeah, Jonathan so, Indy is a guy who's, who's shown some, some bump lately. You know, real quick, the pitchers, Sinner and Coar, th those two pitchers, those are your top ten prospects. Mm -hmm. Those are, you know, they're doing, I, it has been maybe not quite as easy uh, for Sinner uh, in the first few starts, but the talent's still there. Coar's doing fine. You know, those guys are where they are uh, in, the, in the top 300. Moving down from that, um, you know, Jonathan India has been very intriguing this season. He's hitting very well. He played third base basically exclusively his first two seasons at Florida uh, with Dalton Guthrie playing shortstop. Now, he'd expected to stay at third base, uh, but they'd worked him out a little bit at shortstop because Brady McConnell, very highly touted freshman, comes in and is expected to replace Guthrie, but he just hasn't been hitting so far. So India has slid over to shortstop. And if he can prove that he's a shortstop... Which, that's what he was coming in. That, that's what he played at American Heritage. Um, and there's a chance that, that he can stay there. Or Fred at least stay wrong, in the middle infield. Played at shortstop, which meant... Uh, who was the uh, second baseman for that team? There was, uh, was it Lucius Fox? It was it? Lucius Fox. Yeah, basically move Lucius Fox over, you know, yeah. who's you know, a I, legit prospect of his own. So. Absolutely. And so if... He, but India is also hitting for power now this year. So if he can just do continue to He's do doing, one of those two things, well, doing the two of those things is really going to help him. But just one of the two of those things would help push him up the draft boards. Uh, and, and he's a player that everyone has known for a long time, very prominent 
uh, a key part of Florida's offense the, the whole time he's been there. Um, and so I'm, I'm very interested to see how he continues over the course of the season. He missed the last two games against Stony Brook, dealing with a little bit of a hamstring uh, tweak. He's considered day-to-day. I'm sure he'll be back, if not this weekend, then by next weekend for sure. And again, we, I can't help but not ask you about but J.J. Schwartz has, has shown the power early on. J.J. Right? Schwartz is doing what you'd want him to be doing. I mean, he's saying for power, he's catching. Uh, you know, Mike Rivera and he had kind of split the duties, and Rivera had kind of taken over more of those duties last year because, uh, you know, Mike Rivera is an outstanding defender. Really good defender. And, um, but J.J. is back behind the plate now, and, um, you know, he's catching tough arms. That, that's the thing about these catchers at Florida, and there have been a whole string of them that have been very good. You look at, you know, Zanino and Taylor Gushu and um, Mike Rivera. And, you know, if J.J. can be, you know, if he can continue to handle these arms, he caught A.J. Puck every day. Um, in, in he can, if he can continue to, to manage these guys and hit, I mean, it's a, a very intriguing senior sign. He's potentially the best senior in the country. Right. That's a you know a good a good point to make is is that yes he the expectations coming out of his freshman year catcher you know who showed power were sky high but that doesn't that still doesn't mean that there's not something there still um, absolutely I mean the raw power exists and that alone is going to be interesting when you have above average raw power the, the, and you can play catcher even if you're not I mean minimally that's a backup catcher profile if you can can hit enough. Two questions here. We've got uh, prospect ads uh, in the uh, in the feed. So Ron Cheevers asks, any comments on Josiah Gray's outing last Saturday's complete game 10Ks? I'll just take that to say the most notable thing there is complete game, which that's the thing Josiah Gray's converting from relief to starting. Complete game is uh, significant there. And Lenny Torres asks, Northeast players, do they get a raw deal starting so late? Lenny Torres Jr., his son, uh, still has to come out in the spring, but what do you think about him? It is absolutely. I would say the thing I would say just about Northeast players in general in the draft is, is they have less that they can do during the spring to move up. On the, down, on the other side, there's less that they can do to move down. They're a little bit more fixed, I would say. Like if you have a, uh, if you have a high school prospect in Florida, the showcase circuit is important for everyone. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But a, a guy who, you know, even like, let's take Joe. Well, Quinn Holmes last yeah. year, you know, he, uh, you know, up in New York as well. Mm-hmm. It was not a good spring by all accounts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he still goes in the second round. To the Indians, yep. Uh, you know, as their, as their top pick in the draft. And, um, you know, yes, he slid, but, you know, he He would still... have slid more probably if he'd have been, if that yeah. had been a Florida or a California season. Because for, you know, for one simple reason is, is that you would have had longer... You'd have had it earlier in the season for teams to react to that. I mean, one of the things that is true, and teams do everything they can, I think, to make it as to to minimize this. But the reality of it is, is that there is something to be said that March, April has more impact in some ways than May and June because the decision makers, the top decision makers, there's only so many places they can be, and with, if someone does something in late May, it doesn't mean that they don't have anyone there, but there is a certain timing aspect of if you're having, if you make your big run and it's during a time when teams are having their meetings, it's, it's a little bit of a tree falls in a forest. I mean, it's something where, well, that's not going to be noticed as much. And 
Again, at, when at you the pull very, at the very high end, you know, if, if you're trying to bring in brass above a scouting director, it becomes a lot harder to do that once the season starts. Right, and especially when you the talk, big league season. Right, when the big league season starts and all that, it is something where it is more difficult. And again, like there is a part of this where I do think it is still. I mean, if you want to call it inefficiency, but I look at a guy like Alex Fado last year, and it's like, okay. His struggles were very poorly timed for him. He lasted longer in the draft. And I really do look at it and like in hindsight and go, but did that make a whole lot of sense? Because Alex Fado had this really long track record and you don't want to overreact to him having a bad outing in front of a lot of you know top brass. But those kind of things happen. Again, I, I do think one of the things with this though on the flip side is, is yeah, if you're a cold weather kid, you are going to have less looks, but at the same time, it also means that you're a little bit more locked in than uh, a kid from Florida, Georgia, It California, is tough to, to shoot up, though, because, you know, if you think about Logan Shore from a few years ago in Minnesota, he, was, he had a ton of helium, but that helium didn't start until, what, like April, and guys were running in trying to figure it out. And, um, I mean, in some respects, yes, I, it is tough for them. Um, and as a, a native Ohioan, you know, I, I, I feel for that. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And um, it, it, you just got to deal with it. And um, I, I think that obviously it worked out okay for Logan Shore. He, he went and started Florida and, and winds up going out pretty good in, three years later as a junior. Um, other questions. Gerard Kalicki asks, any players from the lower levels, D2, D3, Juco, making news? Um, I'm just going to say stay tuned is on that, that. Is that your burner account? I, I'm, I'm here. You can see I'm not asking that question. But I do have a little of a, a, a JUCO notebook coming in the next uh, day or two. Spotlighting probably four, maybe more. I, I tried to start with two and it ends up starting at four. Four guys who have had notable starts and are worth kind of keeping on. And really what I'm trying to do also, these are not the guys. I'm not telling you that the guys who we had at the top, you know, Josh Bro is really good. You know, that, that hasn't changed. I'm trying to write about some guys who maybe were not as notable coming into the season. And uh, like a guy, there's a lefty out of uh, Kansas who's struck out 40 uh, batters in uh, 18 innings so far. That's, that's pretty good. So, That'll do it. So, uh, so that is coming, Gerard. Thank you for the question. Um, also looking on here, John Urkla asks, with MLB's current trend of starting pitchers working less every year, had a story on that actually yesterday at BaseballAmerica.com about how there's fewer and fewer players, pitchers qualifying for ERA titles, so you can check that out. Is Detroit better off leaning towards a bat at 1-1, or is the available arm talent available near the top clearly better to pass on despite their system's arm depth? I'm going to start with that because I wrote the Tigers this year, then I want to hear your opinions though as well. Um, I would say if I was the Tigers, and again, I think you asked this question phrased it very well, it's best available talent. You do, not, you do not come into your draft room and say, this guy's clearly the best guy on our board, but he's a pitcher and we really need bats, so we're gonna go on a bat. That's not what you do. But if you are the Tigers and you get to your draft meetings and you say, much like last year, where last year, and I know different teams probably had different, different rankings at the top, but if you looked at last year's draft and you said, we feel like that there's a group of five guys who all can make a case to be number one. I feel like that was true last year. Brendan McKay, Kyle Wright, Royce Lewis, Hunter Green, and uh, Mackenzie Gore. 
And I feel like there was those five and then there was probably a little bit of a drop off after that. If that's the case, well, one of the things that's gonna come into there is, is so what are your numbers? Because if we can get, if we feel like this guy's just as good and we can get him for a million less, that's a million we can spend elsewhere. But I do think if you also boil it down, if there is a college bat that is at, that you consider to be equivalent talent to the Shane McClanahan's and the Brady Singers of the world, I do see the argument for the Tigers to go in that direction because, as you note, I mean, they have they have Alex Fado, they have Matt Manning, they have Franklin Perez, they have they have arms, Bo Burrows. That's their top four prospects in the system, but. And you say, who are the best bats in the Tigers system? Well, Kristen Stewart can hit. There was questions about him defensively. You know, you've got guys like Mike Gerber. You got, you know, there's Jake Rogers and Daz Cameron are nice acquisitions. But there's less position player talent. And the other thing about it is, is the reality of it is, is that college bats at the top of the draft are some of the safest bets out there. So that's where I kick it to you, Teddy, which is, the question we have though right now, the guy, the college bat who is most in that group, is not playing right now. And it is hard to envision a five foot eight second baseman, even if we've had some really good versions of those playing the big leagues in recent years. That's not normally what the number one pick is. No, and you know, so we're talking about Nick Madrigal there, and you know, he's a tough, tough profile. Um, Great all, player for all the intangibles he brings, for the hit ability. Uh, there are concerns there, and you know you have to be. You know, I, I imagine whoever drafts him is going to give him another shot at shortstop. But we have to remember that he played his way off shortstop at Oregon State last year. Um, and yes, they have Caden Grenier. But the thing about the big leagues is that everyone has outstanding shortstops. Um, you know, so you, you do have to wonder about that. And, and you know, maybe Madrigal can make it work, but. Um, you know, that, that's an iffy profile. Travis Swaggerty is probably your next bat. Uh, you know, he's been making uh, some moves up the, the BA 300 at this point. And, um, Check that out. We got the, uh, if you haven't seen that yet, BaseballAmerica.com. We've updated it to the top 300 now uh, last week. And so that's not just we added 100 names, but we also moved guys around yes. based on the news of, uh, of what's happened so far. And, you know, he's a center fielder, so you, you do have the up the middle there, but college outfielders don't go high. That, that's, a, that's, a not, that's not a very common thing to see a college outfielder go high, and that's what this year's best college hitters are, with the exception of Madrigal. It's, it's the outfielders. It's Grayson Genesta. It's Griffin Conine, though. I know it's been a little bit of a slow start for him. Um, you know, it's Swaggerty. It's uh, Tristan Pompey at Kentucky. And, you know, I would consider if I was the Tigers, I would make sure I was considering one of these players at least. But at the same time, I also wonder about their ability to develop hitters. They seem to be better at developing pitchers, and they seem to be comfortable with drafting pitchers. Oh, and they yeah. I mean, it's, so it's a long running like you do have you, to consider that bit if, of it as if well. If you I said like. who are if you said right now just based on track record, who are the Tigers most likely to draft? Brady Singer. A, they, or Casey Mize. There's or Casey a, there's Mize, a very yes. good argument for either one of them. Yes, but the Tigers are very comfortable with college pitchers. Casey, and they are very comfortable with SEC pitchers. Yes, if you are in the SEC and you throw hard, the Tigers are interested generally. Yes. That, that, that is what the track record says. And 
Um, with those arms at the top of the draft, I just can't imagine the Tigers being able to, to look at those power arms and say, no, thank you. You know, now maybe they load up on hitters later, but with those arms available, I mean, I, it's just very difficult for me to see them going in a different direction. Yeah, I, again, I, I kind of, uh, I, I see the argument for them to take a bat, and especially because at some point, the reality of it is, is that you are trying to match everything up. The Tigers are in year 1.5 of their rebuild. Their rebuild really started last year at the deadline. And so they still have a ways to go in this. But at the same time, at some point, again, the top of the draft, I do think there's value. But picking 1-1 one, one does, it's funny, there, I don't, it's not a curse. There is a lot of advantages to picking 1-1. One, one. There are some drawbacks to picking 1-1, one, one, though, that are almost maybe dumb psychological things that you pick 1-3. If you're picking third, you know, we call it 1-1, one, one, so I'll say you're picking 1-3, picking first round third pick. And you take Madrigal, who very possibly could end up being a really long-term, let's just say he's a second baseman, but like second baseman plays in the big leagues for 10, 15 years, and you go, wow, that was a great career. You pick him third, and there's no hesitation, but there's something about 1-1, the same way when we talk about the high school pitchers in the class, it's like, well, no high school right-handers ever gone 1-1. Again, it's just, there's a certain, it's something that's almost a little bit funny to me, but that's, that may just be me. Um, but we do thank you. Uh, you know, it's been about 30 minutes, so we try to keep this nice and tight. But uh, we do thank you for tuning in today's Baseball America Facebook Live and podcast. And this one was brought to you, as it usually is, by Baseballism. Visit Baseballism.com and get the best apparel in baseball. And enter the code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, and you will get 20% off of your order. For Teddy, I'm JJ. We thank you for all the questions. We'll be back again next week with another Facebook Live. So long, everybody.